0: Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern style worship and an on-time message from God's Word. This week, we begin a new year-long series on revival by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message. Up on the screen, you'll
1: see 2020, that coming soon, the year of revival. About three months ago, the Lord placed on my heart as we went through our retreat time and as we began to seek out what we would be doing in the future, the Lord impressed upon my heart that 2020 was to be a year whenever we pursue and we seek revival. And we're going to be in a journey all year long of of learning a number of different things and different truths about it, but ultimately to see God do a mighty work and to revive us. So I wrote down a few things, and you don't have to write these down. I'm going to post them on our website And begin to communicate with you through that. Some things that we're going to be focusing on. Things we're going to be doing. But I want you to listen to those this morning. What it means the 2020, the year of revival. It's a year when our focus, priority, and effort will be given to seek a fresh touch from God. In our spiritual lives, our families, our church, and our community. We cannot bring revival, that is the work of God, but we can seek it, we can long for it, and have ourselves in a position to receive it when God chooses to send it. We're going to seek to answer some important questions such as, what is revival? And what is a spiritual awakening and how is that different from revival? And why does revival not come and what does revival do in changing the lives of people when it does come? We're going to learn together about the history of revival in America and come to understand why the spiritual condition of our country has deteriorated over the past 40 to 50 years. And now that is directly related to the lack of revival and spiritual awakening in America. We're going to hear from spiritual leaders that I'm inviting in who had the opportunity to experience the last revival and spiritual awakening in our country in the late 60s and early 70s. I want some of you to hear for the very first time and others of us to be able to be reminded of what church life was like in those days. Hopefully to create a hunger in us to desire a return to that experience. You're going to hear that from some men who walked in the midst of that. We're going to study God's word about revival and renewal and allow it to breathe, to be a guide for us and to create in us a hunger for a mighty movement of God. We're going to pray together and listen and fast together. Did y'all hear that? We're going to pray together and fast together, seeking the revival that we need and that God wants to send. We're going to seek to be sensitive to God's spirit in his leading, and to be obedient to whatever he commands us to do. We're going to rediscover the purpose of the church in telling the story of Jesus. That's pretty appropriate, Kevin. And having lives transformed and then becoming baptized believers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to stand, uh, to seek, to stand in the mighty power of God, and resist the enemy who will seek to battle us on every front to keep revival and spiritual awakening from coming. The enemy does not want revival. He does not want a spiritual awakening. So you've got to be ready for the fight. And we will walk by faith realizing that revival and spiritual awakening are God's gracious gifts to those who seek him. It is what he does And we will be careful to give him all praise and glory. If we experience a touch from God, it's what God did, not what any of us have done. And like I said, I'm going to post that and let you be adding things to that to let you know what we're really focusing in and what we're helping us to understand about revival, spiritual awakening, and what God is wanting to do in our midst in our lives. And I hope that God places in your heart. I, I was in a men's meeting the other day, and it was a blessing to me to hear one man talk about how God had just placed in his heart this desire for revival and, and to be clean before the Lord and, and to make sure that he, he didn't have any sin that he's letting just settle there in his heart and his life. And, and that's exciting. That's what revival is all about. It's getting clean before the Lord. It's exciting that in a couple of weeks, we're going to baptize four individuals who've given their heart to Christ, some children, but also adults who've given their heart to Christ. We're going to baptize them here in this service. We have a baptistry over there. It's going to be the first time we ever used it here in this service. We're going to baptize those four believers and celebrate the fact that they've come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Already, we see and sense that God's doing something in our midst, but we haven't even begun to touch the hem of the garment of what God wants to do. So today, I'm going to share with you a message that has to do with this aspect of revival. I want to talk to you about three truths. Three truths about revival that we need to know and put in our heart and our life. But I want to do this in the context of describing to you and, and illustrating to you a people who desperately needed revival. Okay? A people who desperately needed revival. And that was the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel in this particular text. If you have your Bibles, you had to turn to Zechariah. The book of Zechariah. Now, that's one of those prophets we don't look at very often. So if you want to find it, just go to Malachi and start backing up, okay? Back up from there a few, a few books and you'll find Zechariah. And we're going to look at Zechariah today. But, but when Zechariah speaks to the children of Israel, they are desperately needing a touch from God. They are desperately needing a revival and a renewal and for God to do something in their midst and, and in their lives. And the reason it is, is because what they were going through historically, and let me talk to you about that for just a moment. Let's describe where they were at this time when Zechariah preaches to them and teaches them this truth. You know that there had been the kingdom of Israel, and it had divided into two kingdoms, Israel in the north, Judah in the south. Israel in the north, we talked about that last week, was a wicked kingdom. And they fell in 722 B.C. They fell to the Assyrians. The Assyrians annihilated them. But Judah was supposed to learn from that and and be a more righteous and godly people, but they didn't. And they, just like their older sister, they also fell into sin and walked in sin. And therefore, they fell in 587 BC. They fell to the Babylonians, to the king, most of you know his name, Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of the Babylonians, and whenever he came in, he totally destroyed Jerusalem. He broke down their walls, he destroyed the temple. He took everything that was good with him. He deported the best of the Jews, and he left everything else in rubble. Their nation, that precious promised land, that place God had given to them, that place where the temple had, had been and they had come to worship God, it's totally, absolutely wiped out. And they are now over in Babylon, and they're being servants over there and walking in the midst of Babylon. And in their minds, they think they will never, ever have the opportunity of going back and being a nation and living in their homeland. But what they forgot is that the prophet had told them, There will be a time whenever you will be taken into captivity, but after 70 years, you will be restored. And what God says, even to the very hour, he will be fulfilling. And he told them that you will return. And he even tells them before it's time, he tells them how they're going to return. He said, There's going to be a king named Cyrus, who had never been heard of at that time. He had never been heard of because the Babylonians were in charge, not his kingdom. And he said, A man named Cyrus is going to be the one who's going to issue an edict or decree and give you an opportunity to return home. Well, you wouldn't think that could happen. But in 538 BC, remember we're going backwards. In 538 BC, The Medo-Persians defeated Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians. They thought that could never happen. The Babylonians thought they would rule forever. But the Medo-Persians defeated them, and a king named Cyrus came to the throne. And and Cyrus thought he had a good idea, but where did that idea come from? It came from the throne room of heaven. Amen? (laughs) Amen? The great thing about God is he can use people as pawns. I mean, he can do whatever he wants to. He can use any ruler anywhere to issue decrees. They don't even know why they're doing what they're doing. But he'd already foretold Cyrus was going to issue a decree. And he issued a decree. You know, he he told the Jews, he said to the Jews, he said, you can return back to your home. Return back to your home. And what you're to do when you get over there, you're to rebuild the temple of your God. Did you hear that? This pagan king tells them you can go home and you can also, your commission and what you're commanded to do is to build the temple of God, which is the thing that's most precious to them, representing the presence and power of God there. He says you can do it. So a group of them, not all of them, some of them had kind of adapted to life in Babylon, and they liked living in Babylon more than they liked going back to Jerusalem, but some of them decided they would go back to Jerusalem, and they went under a man named Zerubbabel. You need to get that in your mind. His name was Zerubbabel. He was the commander, the leader of this group that's going back to re-inhabit Judah and to rebuild the temple. So they journey over to Jerusalem, and when they get to Jerusalem, it is horrible, horrible, Nothing is happening. It is a desolate land. The walls are still broken down. The temple is destroyed. And there's no life there. There's nothing good there. But they're supposed to re-inhabit that land. Well, when they get there, they immediately do what God tells them to do. They began to rebuild the temple. And in that first year, they established the foundation of the temple. Good start. That's what you're supposed to do, a good start. But then things got hard. Things got hard. They got hard on the outside. They were oppressed. They had enemies. Those, those people who are, had taken over their land did not want them back. They didn't want to give up that land. And, and there weren't any resources on the outside. There was nothing much to eat. There was nothing much to live in. There was nothing much to enjoy. It was a horrible land. But not only did they have the outside oppression, they had the internal struggles of distress and, and depression. They got distressed and depressed because things were so hard. And whenever all of that starts pressing in on them, they become more self focused than they do God focused. Do you know anybody like that? Have you ever encountered anybody like that? Whenever things on the outside are hard or things on the inside are distressful or depressing, and all of a sudden, On the inside, you find out, focus more on self than on God. More on doing what I have to do to make a living and to get by than doing what God commanded me to do. And in that situation, they stop building the temple. And they go through 16 years of spiritual apathy. You know what spiritual apathy is, don't you know? I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. Doesn't matter to me. I don't care. Doesn't matter to me. I wonder if sometimes the church of the living God today is not apathetic. What do you think? We walk in the midst of the world that is so far away from God, but it seems that it does not convict our heart. It doesn't draw us towards God. It doesn't do anything in our heart. We're apathetic. We just walk around in spiritual Apathy. I'm sorry, but that's the honest truth. And they were staying in that and living in that until God sends two preachers, two prophets, who are going to have to wake them up. One of those prophets was Haggai, and the other prophet was Zechariah. And those two prophets came and basically told the people, "said You're not doing what God told you to do, and if you don't begin to do what God tells you to do, you're never going to be blessed." You're always going to have a dissatisfied life, and you're never going to be able to accomplish the thing God wants you to be because you're not putting your priorities in right order, and priorities is God first, you second. Building God's house instead of your house. But you've got it all messed up, so you've got to get it back in line. That's what Haggai said to them. And Zechariah comes right along and is preaching to them and telling them, you've got to make a change. You've got to make a change. You've got to have a revival. There's got to be a revival. There's got to be a renewal. There's got to be a new commitment that you make, a change in your life and heart, and begin to do what God tells you to do. And as you begin to do what God tells you to do, God is going to show you great and mighty things. God is going to show you great mighty things. It's interesting to me that when I came to this church 12 and a half years ago, when I came here, God brought me here on the basis of four promises. Four promises in God's word brought me to this place. In the midst of those four promises, it's interesting to me that one of those is found in Haggai chapter 2 verse 9. Haggai was what? One of those preachers And the other one of those is found in Zechariah chapter 8, verse 5. Two of the four verses come from the two preachers who are preaching about revival to the nation of Israel. Because that's where we are. Not just us as a church, our whole nation is that way. Not just our church, other churches are that way. We need revival, we need renewal, we need something for God to do that's beyond what we could ever imagine. And to watch God to begin to work in such a way. Well, in the midst of Zechariah's preaching and him preaching for them to have revival, he shares with them three truths that I want you to see. It's found in Zechariah chapter 4. Zechariah chapter 4. This is what he says. I'm going to begin to read. I'll just read in verse 1 and following, and you follow with me. Then the angel was speaking to me, returned, and roused me as a man is wakened from his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? Remember, he's seeing a vision. He said, I I see, behold, a lampstand, all of gold, with its bowl on its top of it. And it's seven lamps on it with seven spouts belonging to each of the lamps, which are on the top of it. Okay. He said, I see a lampstand. And basically in that lampstand, here's the picture. There are seven arms of the lampstand. And on each, each of those seven arms, there are seven lamps on each of those. So if you add it up, there's 49 light-giving lamps that are here on this lampstand. He sees this golden lampstand, but that's not all he sees. Listen to verse 3. He says, And also two olive trees by it, one on the right side of the bowl and the other on the left side. Then I answered and said to to the angel who was speaking with me, What are these, my Lord? So the angel who was speaking with, with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? And he said, No, my Lord. Then, notice this, then he answered and said to me, this is the word of the Lord to who? Zerubbabel. Remember, there's the message, there's that leader, there's that one who's got to be focused again on what he's supposed to be doing. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. What are you, O great mountains? Before Zerubbabel you will become a plain, and he will bring forth the top stone with shouts of grace, grace to it. Also the, Lord, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house, and his hands will finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For who has despised the day of small things? But these seven will be glad when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These are the eyes of the Lord, which range to and fro throughout the earth. Now, out of those passages, I want you to see three truths that are very important for revival. We're going to come back and we'll visit that about the olive trees. Who are those olive trees? They're the two anointed ones of God. And they have a direct line with the olive trees go directly from the olive tree where they're tapped in for the olive oil. goes right into the bowls, into the lamp. It means it's a perpetual lighting. You didn't have to go fill them up anymore. They were always filled. And just to help you understand that, the two anointed ones are the priest and the kings. And there was going to be one who's a priest and a king who's going to come forth and allow there to be something that's unthinkable, that out of the olive tree there'd be a perpetual filling to light the lamps, and the olive is always a picture of the Holy Spirit of God. It's a foretelling that when Jesus comes, the Holy Spirit of God is going to be in your heart and life, and he's going to continuously fill you so that you can continuously be the light to the world. That's what it's talking about, all right? But when he says that, he goes on and he makes this statement. He says... In verse number, chapter 4, verse 6, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Here it is, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Here's one thing I want you to write down, all right? Here it is God's work is God's work. Y'all got that? God's work is God's work. That means that when God works, it has to be God who does that work. God really hasn't called on you and me to do his work. He wants to do his work, but he may choose to do his work through you and me. But if it's really going to be a God work, it's what God does, not what you and I do. I'm here to tell you, I can't do God's work. But you can't do God's work either. Whenever I'm trying to do God's work, I miserably fail. I go through the motions, but nothing happens. I go through the actions, but there's nothing that is a fruit to be born. For see, the only one who can do God's work and bring forth God's plan and God's purpose is God. That's why he says to Zerubbabel, here's the message to Zerubbabel. Remember, they've, been, they've laid down the hammers. They've laid down everything. They haven't done anything for 16 years. And now he says, Zerubbabel, you've got to get back doing what you're supposed to be doing. And you've got to get busy building that temple. And my temple must be built and my priority must be first. But here's what you need to know, Zerubbabel. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, this is going to happen. Not by power. That means not by military might. It's not going to be some army that's going to win this. It's not going to be some army that's going to accomplish God's purpose and plan. There is no army except the army of the Lord that can do God's work. It's not going to be military might. And it's not going to be when it says manpower. The power is the manpower that we didn't. The labors, bringing all the labors to do it. It's not going to be the labors who get it done. It's not going to be military power. It's not going to be all the labor and hard work that might be done. It's going to be done by my spirit, says the Lord. When revival comes and renewal comes and a fresh work of God comes and things of God are accomplished, it's going to be done by the spirit Of God, He is the one who has to do it, and then whenever He begins to do it by His Spirit, as He does it in His Spirit, He can do all kinds of things. He can accomplish all. Listen what He tells Zerubbabel in verse seven. Don't miss it. What are you, O great mountains? Before Zerubbabel, you become a plain, and He will bring forth the top stone with shouts of grace, grace to it. He says, when you look at the mountains. Mountains, you're nothing. Mountains are always an idea of an obstacle that you have to overcome. A great difficulty that has to be overridden. It is something like, he said, don't worry about those great mountains. Don't worry about those high peaks. Don't worry about those things. Before Zerubbabel in the hand of God, I will make them a plain. Now, if you want to really be amazed sometime, I don't know if you've been, had the opportunity to go to the Grand Canyon. Lynn and I, we had on our bucket list to go to the Grand Canyon. Last year we went there. And I'm telling you what, I stood by the Grand Canyon, and I still couldn't believe it was real. It's amazing to see that. And, and I'm a practical person, and whenever I'm thinking, of, you, know, you know what went through my mind? Boy, if I was a pioneer on a wagon, and I came and looked over this, I'd think, what in the world? are you going How are you going to get from one side of here to the other? We would have built our house on this side. Can you, you imagine that? Have you ever seen that? That's sometimes, sometimes in life, you face mountains just like those mountains that you see in the midst of the Grand Canyon. But you know what God said? Is, hey, don't worry about those mountains. Don't worry about those, di- don't worry about those outside, pre- don't worry about the inside, pre- don't worry about those things. I'm gonna take and make the mountains like a plane. I'm gonna make them like a plane. I can do that. You can't do that but I can do that. He says not only am I going to make not only am I going to make the, the mountains into a plain. Look what he says. He says I'm going to take off the top of the mountain, the capstone. That's the decorative part. The capstone is the is the pinnacle of that temple. It would be the pinnacle of that which is built. He says I'm going to go right to the very top of the mountain and take off the capstone, bring it down. And it's going to be don't worry about the tall mountains. The Spirit of God can accomplish all of that and will do that. But remember, it's the work of God. If we have revival, it's going to be the work of the Spirit of God. You cannot force God to bring revival. You can ask him to send revival. And then you can raise up the sail in your ship so that when the wind of revival blows, you get to enjoy it. Amen? But it's the work of God. But that's not all. The second thing he says is this. Somebody what it says in verse number nine The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house, and his hand will finish it. Go on. Next verse. For who has despised the day of small things? But these seven will be glad when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. Who are these seven? These are the eyes of the Lord which range to and fro throughout the earth. Do you know what it says? The work of God is the work of God. But here's the second thing. God uses anointed, spirit-filled people to do his work. You realize that? I mean, if God just wanted to speak it into existence, he can. He spoke creation into existence. We didn't have anything to do with that. Right, but he doesn't always choose to do that. He chooses to do his work by anointed, spirit-filled people who are under his control and leadership. That's why it says right here: it says the eyes of the Lord, these seven, the seven eyes of God. You remember in the Revelation we studied talking about the seven spirits of God, the seven eyes of God that that range to and fro throughout the whole earth. They're looking to and fro. And they will be glad when they see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. Well, what's the plumb line? For you carpenters, you know that. Plumb line, you hold it up, and he'll tell you what is straight, what is crooked, what is leaning. It is an instrument that is used in that construction. And when Zerubbabel takes the plumb line, it means he's not sitting down anymore. He's not waiting anymore. He's going to get busy in the work. He's going to put his hands back to the task. He's going to join with God in doing what God wants to be done. And it says that the eyes of the Lord will see it. And when the eyes of the Lord see it, they will be glad. They will be glad. Why? Because someone has chosen, someone has decided, they want to join God in what he's doing. And do you know what it says? The eyes of the Lord search to and fro throughout the whole earth. Looking to and fro throughout the whole earth. Well, that's a great verse. I'll give you that verse. It's in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. You know what's great about that verse? It's the same phrase. But it says this. The eyes of the Lord search to and fro throughout the whole earth. To show himself strong on behalf of the one whose heart is perfect towards him. You know what that means? Any of us are qualified. Any of us can be joined, join God in his work. Any of us can see the mighty hand of God work in and through us if our hearts will be completely towards him. We don't have to look at the work. We have to look at him. And what he wants is for us to adore and love him and be filled by his spirit and allow him to do in us what only he can do. One of the things that that I have to continuously learn, I wished I were the person who learned it one time and it was over. Amen? Are y'all like that? Bless your hearts if you are. I'm not that way. I got to learn something over and over and over again. And one of the things that I've learned but I have to relearn is that God can do more in me accidentally than I can do by myself on purpose. Did you know that? He can do more in and through me accidentally than I can ever do on my own. But that doesn't keep me from trying to do it on my own. What about you? See, what he wants us to realize is that God's work is God's work. He has to be the one who does it. His spirit is the one who accomplishes it. But if we are willing and we will submit our lives to him and we want to be filled by his spirit, then he will fill our lives with his spirit, put the plumb line in our hand, and accomplish great things and see glorious victories won for his glory and for his honor. That's a great truth. Final truth. I want you to see this. It's found there in verse number eight. It's the first question of that verse. Listen to what it says. For who has despised the day of small things? Let me read that again for you. Listen, it's a question. This is a question that the Spirit of God in Zechariah is asking the people of Israel who need a revival, who need a fresh touch from God. This is what he said. Who has despised the day of small things? See, that foundation of that temple that was laid out there, it was a small, insignificant thing. It was nothing in comparison to Solomon's temple that had been destroyed. I mean, Solomon's temple was glorious. But here's the little foundation that's laid and nothing upon it. And everybody is satisfied walking around the foundation, a small thing. And this is, this is, what, this is what the preacher asked. This, this is what the Spirit of God asked him. Who among you has gotten sick and tired of just the small things? Who among you has gotten tired of of being able to explain everything that happens in your life. Nothing surprises you because nothing unique and nothing big and certainly nothing God-sized ever takes place. And he asked the question, who among you has reached the point of despising the small things? What he's asking is this, or what he's saying is this. If you're to ever experience a fresh touch from God, you got to become dissatisfied in the status quo. If you're satisfied with the way it is, that's the way it will always be. But the only way it's ever going to be different, and the only way you could ever see anything different Is that you get tired of the small things. And you want to see God do something that's a big thing. And you want to see God do something that can only be explained by God. And you want to see God do something that everybody has to recognize. That's a God-sized project. That's a God-sized event. Nobody can do that but God. But it will never happen until we personally in our heart in our lives get dissatisfied with where we are spiritually. Not about where Fred is or Mary is or down the road is or across the world is. Where are we in relationship to our God? And until we get to a point of being dissatisfied with where we are in relationship with God, we will never see the bigger things of God. Until we get dissatisfied with having church as usual, When we just come and we know what we do and we meet and we gather, we can do it without even thinking. You can do church without thinking. People do all the time. They come, shut their minds off, sit there, go to the next meeting, do that, move out. We just do it all the time. We're regular, but regular at small things, not not big things. Not God-sized things, not not where somebody comes to find out, man, what's happening there? Because that must be God. (laughs) We got to get dissatisfied with the small things. And bless God, when are we going to wake up and get dissatisfied with our community, with our nation, with where we're headed? Well, when are we going to do it? And it's not, you say, well, uh, you want me to go carry a banner somewhere? Well, I guess if God tells you to carry a banner, get out there and carry it. But how, how long has it been since you prayed about it? Since you fasted over it, what you cared about it, When you were concerned about the direction and the world that our children and grandchildren are growing up in, and what are they going to face in the next 40 years if we have digressed and deteriorated like we have in the previous 40 years? What's it going to be like? Do you care? Do you care? We got to get dissatisfied with the small things. And that's what Zechariah said. When's it going to be that you get dissatisfied with the small things? Leonard Ravenhill, who was probably the greatest revival preacher of all times, he was from Great Britain. He spent a lot of time over in our our nation, but his greatest revival preacher that I ever knew of. He was 72 years old when I was in college. I went to revival meetings. We had two-week meetings. It was at Cottage Hill Baptist Church. And hold on a second before you start looking at your watch. When he preached, he preached for an hour and 45 minutes. Did you hear that? An hour and 45 minutes. Did you hear that? But bless God, whenever he preached for an hour and 45 minutes, you, you were sitting on the edge of your seat Waiting for God to feed you something else. And you know what? That 72-year-old man, you know what he did? Whenever he got through with that meeting that lasted an hour and 45 minutes, not counting the invitation, he would go to the chapel service. He would pray for eight hours. He'd pray all night, 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. Then you understand why whenever he preached, heaven came down. You know what Ravenhill said? This is in a nutshell. He says, the reason that we do not have revival Is that we're satisfied to live without it. That's the reason we don't have revival. We're just satisfied to live without it. When we get to a point of being dissatisfied with where we are spiritually, where our families are headed, what we're doing, where our nation is, and when we get so burdened that we will fast and we'll pray and we'll seek for God and we'll hunger and we'll long for whatever God can do, realizing it's what God does, not what I do, but I'm going to join Him to do whatever He would have me to do. When we get to that place, revival will come. God is not not wanting to send revival. He wants us to be revived more than we want to be revived, but He knows we've got to get to a place to where we want it. Where we want it. Do you? I pray we do. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to talk about it all in 2020. We're going to focus on it all in 2020. And bless God, what a glorious thing it would be if God would send us revival in 2020. If He don't send it in 2020, we'll be seeking it in 2021. Amen? As long as He tarries, we're going to have to find it. We're going to have to have it. That's our only hope. Our only hope.
0: That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.